Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. Grabs one out to deep left field. This one's got a chance to get out of here. Gone. Three run Jimmy Jack first. Big league home run for Mike Trout. Five in the second half. Ladies and gentlemen, you have witnessed the second greatest scoring performance in NBA history. Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of the best sports podcast in America, Infinity Sports. I'm your host, Wayne G. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Jesse and Dan. What's going on, boys? Hello, hello. What's up, Sully and Wayne? Say it again for the people in the back. The best podcast alive. America. Not one better, and we have the best intro, we have the best content, we have the best host. That's what makes us the best. One, two, and three. Now, you can check us out on Facebook, at Infinity Podcast right now. We're working on changing that to at Infinity Sports, but it's a slow process. Right now, it's at Infinity Podcast. Instagram, we are at Infinity Sports Podcast. And Twitter, where are we at, Jesse? We are at Sports Infinity 5. And again, that is a play on our last segment of every episode. And, of course, you can check us out live on the RTF Sports Network. Just visit www.rtfsportsnetwork.com on Thursdays at 11 a.m. We play for an hour. It's great stuff. You can check out some blogs when it's over or beforehand if you want to bone up on some information. But otherwise, those are the places to check us out. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, RTF Sports Network. You know, who doesn't love to bone up, Wayne? So make sure you guys get up on there. Check those blogs. Make sure you give us a listen on RTF Sports Network on all the platforms. Get on all the social media platforms. Make sure you follow, rate, review, do everything you need to, man. We really need you guys. We appreciate it. That intro gets me boned up every time, boys. Now, we have a monster show today. Normally, we got to scramble for content because there's no sports going on, like we all know. So, we got to try to find stuff to talk about. No such problem this week. Tons of stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about BS with the NCAA, which is pretty much everything they do. We're going to make fun of a few stupid hosts' hot takes. We're going to talk about the NBA schedule. And we have a movie themed Infinity Five. I'm excited for that. But first, guys, we got some news to get to. Now, if you're listening to this episode, it's probably Saturday, July 4th. Happy 4th of July. Woo! Happy 4th of July, everybody. Girls, guys, thanks for listening on this patriotic day. Thanks for taking us in and uh, enjoying the weekend with us. Yeah, happy 4th, everybody. You know, this is actually one of my more favorite days. I'm not going to lie. You know, my grandfather was in the Air Force for a long time, and I just love the idea of our nation. To be honest with you, I'm a very patriotic guy, and I I love the 4th. So, beer, dogs, hopefully baseball, you know, soon. So, you know, let's, let's get it. America. I have a couple of notes here of events that happened this day in history. Obviously, most notable is, on this day in history, 56 people committed treason. Thank goodness they did. (laughs) Solid note to have in there, Wayne. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, in the sports world, on this day in 1939, the Yankees retired number four, Lou Gehrig's number. In 1960, Mickey Mantle hits number 300. And this is the one I thought was the craziest. In 1980, Nolan Ryan gets his 3,000th strikeout. He still pitched 13 years after getting his 3,000th strikeout. Oh, that longevity award, boys. It's crazy how many key things, and now I know it's only three, but when you think about the vast number of things that can happen on a day, it's pretty crazy that these three monumental things all happen on such a special day like July 4th. You know, like I said, baseball kind of is synonymous with the holiday, and I think we're all just really excited that it's coming back. And, you know, speaking of that, what do we got, Wayne? Well, speaking of baseball being a July sport, on July 23rd, we're finally potentially going to get opening day. It's going to be the Yankees versus the Nationals. They haven't released the full schedule, but we know opening day is Yankees-Nationals, and I think it could be a World Series preview. I don't know about you guys. I certainly thought it could have been before Sully had let me know that two players from that Nationals roster is not going to be playing this year due to some concerns with COVID. Both Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross are actually not going to be playing this year. 
Yeah, which I think it's honestly just going to kind of be the start. You know, we've seen essentially the whole Nets team decide they're not going to play. Now, that's partially due to injury and partially due to COVID concerns, but I think we'll see more and more MLB players kind of follow. I think none will be bigger than Zimmerman. I mean, that's kind of a big name to be sitting out. Now, I'm not sure how it's it's really going to affect the Nationals totally, but I mean, you got to think they just lost Rendon this year too. To lose now Zimmerman also, that's some meat from the middle of that lineup. But that Yankees-Nationals, that's going to be a great game. I mean, you got to think it's going to be Scherzer and, and Garrett Cole. And, and I mean, that's just going to be a great, matchup that we've been waiting for, you know, God, you know, for so long, obviously, I'm really, really, really excited for July 23rd, man. It's going to be exciting. Like you said, there are some guys sitting out, and I know that some of them are sitting out for the Nationals, and Zimmerman is a big name, but I just feel like with Scherzer, with Strasburg, that's still a pitching lineup that you know, has shown in the postseason they can dominate, particularly Strasburg, who I think postseason ERA is like 137 or something stupid. They're going to have a tough time competing against the Atlanta Braves, in my opinion. Oh, please give more details. Well, I mean, they play in the same division. I'm not even sure the Nats win their own division. I think the youth is going to finally start to bloom down there in Atlanta. You got Freeman, you got Acuna, you got a bunch of awesome players down there that are going to have a wonderful year, and I see them going very far into the playoffs this year. See, I mean, we didn't even mention Patrick Corbin for the Nationals, too. I mean, that's their number three. I I love the Nationals rotation, even without Joe Ross. Like I said, I worry about their lineup now. I mean, losing Rendon and Zimmerman in the middle of that lineup is going to be rough. I I mean, I think we've all expressed how big of fans we are of Juan Soto. But, I mean, the guy's still going to need help. I'm actually a real big Atlanta Braves fan, too. I also think this is going to be a year where, with only 60 games... You know, whatever team gets out to that hot start, you know what I mean? It just pushes through. I think they got a shot, and I'm going to look for these younger teams to do that. And I think, like, the Chicago White Sox is a team that I'm a big fan of this year. I think they got a lot of young talent and a lot of, like, budding right on the cusp of just great players. And for 60 games, it could all click for them. You know what I mean? Atlanta's another team. I'm glad you mentioned that, Jesse, that these young guys, it it doesn't have to click for 162 games. It's only got to click for 60. And so I think these younger smaller teams may have a bigger shot than people think in a shorter season I think that puts even more emphasis on the pitching that we're going to have to see and you just mentioned two out of the five guys out of the Nats rotation that's not going to be playing this year and we're just starting to get the news to roll out another guy that I had heard is Arizona Diamondbacks starting pitcher Mike Leak he's actually not going to be playing either so we're certainly going to hear more names as the uh, season progresses to get closer yeah, I think so for sure. And and speaking of odds and things that might potentially happen, I know that Vegas released their odds for the Houston Astros, which player will be the first one to get hit by a pitch. The three favorites are Bregman, Altuve, and Correa at 400, 4 plus 450. But the one that interested me, and I mentioned this to you, Sully, off the air in a group text, is I said that Reddick at 4,000 to 1, if I'm pitching against the Houston Astros on day one, I'm kind of doing an anonymous bet on myself in Vegas, and then I'm hitting Reddick. Yeah, I mean, like we said, we talked about this off air, and it's like, man, I mean, obviously, it's a made-up situation, but God, I mean, could you imagine if something like that happened? I mean, that's a thousand times worse than anything Pete Rose ever did. I don't know if if you could ever get away with something like that. I mean, there would obviously, there would probably be legal ramifications too, because at that point, you're affecting the bet. I don't really even know, but... I do think it's going to be Bregman. I just think people kind of view him as the face. I know Altuve is kind of the normal answer, but I don't know the pompous. We talked about this, I think, like one of our first podcasts when we when we first started. But Bregman's pompous attitude towards it has just I don't know has just always rubbed me the wrong way. So. Yeah, I think that it's going to be either Bregman or Altuve. I'd prefer it to be Altuve. That whole covering his wire, the 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 buzzer he had saying it was a tattoo. I don't like the lies from any of them, so all three of them could certainly get hit in, in that first series. Now, who is the Springer would be the leadoff hitter, or is he is he healthy? Or because Bregman does have the biggest odds, correct? He has the best odds, yeah. Well, him and Altuve, I believe, are both four plus four hundred, and Correa is plus four fifty. Uh, God, I would love to know their potential starting lineup because who's their leadoff? I mean, it's it's been George Springer in the past. What are his odds? Because I don't see anybody hitting George Springer. I'm pretty sure he's considered like one of the nicer guys around the league. And you would think he'd be up there since he's the leadoff hitter. But I wonder if he's not on there, one, because he is one of the nicer guys in the league, and two, because whoever gets hit is probably not going to be the leadoff guy because it would be too obvious. Yeah, I don't think you can start hitting the leadoff. I, I agree with that. that. I mean, I've seen the argument of whoever's the leadoff, that's who I'm picking. And it's like, man, 
you know the umpire is going to come out and immediately say, whoever you hit, I'm going to throw you out right away. So I, I don't know. I'm, in, I'm excited. I hope they ping them every single game. I hope somebody gets pinged. We had talked about some COVID news, and the NFLPA told players stop practicing, stop having those get-togethers, those private workouts ready for the season because all these different players and different teams, all the college teams that are just massively flooding with COVID-positive tests, NFLPA said everybody stop the private workouts. That did not stop Tom Brady, and it did not stop Matt Stafford, two guys that we compared against each other last episode, but those guys are still holding the private workouts with their teammates. Yeah, I don't think anybody is really going to tell Tom Brady what to do at this point. Certainly not Sully. Hey, I want him to. Keep throwing the ball, bro. I talked about this, you know, a little bit on a different show where these players are going to get sick and you're just going to have to treat it like an injury. You're going to have to treat it like a hamstring pull or things like that. And yes, it may be unfortunate when it happens, but you're just going to have to deal with it. You know, I'd rather keep the routine, keep everything normal and act like it's not going to happen, not act like it is going to happen. So I'm all for it. Let Let them practice. Now, we have some movie news, kind of movie sports news, and that's going to transition into our Infinity Five, like one piece of news always does. Jamie Foxx is going to be playing Mike Tyson in an upcoming biopic, and he had recently did an Instagram or a tweet of his physique. He's been bulking up, and he looks pretty big, so he's kind of doing the Will Smith thing, like when Will Smith played Ali, but he still looks like he needs another 35 pounds to get to Tyson size. He does, and Jamie Foxx must really be a boxing enthusiast because, if you guys remember, he was actually in Ali back in 2001. He played one of the uh, trainers and cornermen for Will Smith's portrayal of Muhammad Ali. So this guy loves to be in a uh, sports uh, and boxing environment, and uh, I really think he's going to do a great job. But like you said, Wayne, he's going to need to add some beef because prime Tyson is just a freak of nature. Yeah, he played Bundini, who's Ali's like, you know, corner man and really good friend uh, and during his life. But yeah, I agree, Wade. And I, and I love how you say it nonchalantly, too, where he, he's like, oh, yeah, he needs to gain another 30 pounds. Like, man, I mean, that's tough. You talk about these actors and they're losing weight and gaining weight for roles and things like that. And man, this is going to be a tough one because putting on that much weight is not easy to do. I will always say it. We'll talk about it. It's probably going to be with steroids and things like that, especially, you know, with these famous folk. And he probably doesn't have a lot of time to get that big. So, but I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be great. I think Jamie Foxx is a great actor. So. I think he's a phenomenal actor. He was also in the boxing movie, The Great White Height. And so he's done, uh, this will be his third boxing movie, I guess. But my question is this. So he was fantastic as Ray Charles and he even sang the music in that and was flawless in singing the Ray Charles music. My question for you guys is, how tough is it going to be? Because I'm sure he's going to do the Mike Tyson voice. And how tough is it going to be for him to seriously portray that character in those serious moments while talking with a high-pitched lisp? I think that he's really done a, a great job of doing impersonations and holding them on different talk shows. I've seen him do it on Fallon, I believe. I've seen him do the impersonations and really hold them straight. So I, I have no fear that with how great an actor he is and he's shown to be, most recently I saw him in Just Mercy with Michael B. Jordan, and that was amazing. So I think he can hold that accent, hold that, that twang, I guess, whatever it, it is, the very high-pitched voice of Mike Tyson. I think he can do it. Great white hype. Great movie, by the way. I think he can do it, too. I mean, you you had mentioned when he does Ray. I mean, playing Ray's got to be a little kind of funny also. Always got your neck out smiling. That's got to be a little difficult to keep a straight face during and and to keep the method during. And and so I believe in Jamie Foxx. I think he's a good enough actor that he can do it. Plus, you got to think of the respect factor. If If he goes in thinking it's a joke, takes it as a joke, Mike Tyson will come real quick with that left, man. So, and you know he's thinking about that. Yeah, that's a hard, hard left. And I, people don't realize Mike Tyson was actually, he fought right-handed, but he was actually left-handed, which is why that left hook was so dangerous. That uppercut left combo that you constantly see floating around that he's teaching all these younger guys now, it's one of the most vicious things I've ever seen, and he's 50-what-odd years old. It's crazy to see. Of course, the big news that we're going to talk about is the New England Patriots went out and signed Cam Newton. He was a free agent floating around out there. A lot of teams fans were wondering why he wasn't signed. And the Patriots get him for basically a million dollars guaranteed, up to seven and a half if he plays really well and is an all-star and all that jazz. I personally, I've made my opinion clear multiple episodes and multiple blogs and multiple Facebook debates about how I feel about Jarrett Stidham. I think he's the future of the franchise, and I do think he's going to beat out Cam Newton for the starting job, because I don't think they're bringing Cam in to be a starter. I think they're bringing him in to push Stidham, and it's going to be a competition, which he's going to lose. 
I definitely think that Cam's going to start the season as the starter. I think that he's going to get majority of the starts this season. In fact, he is a guy that Bill Belichick has coveted that he has spoke very glowingly about in press conferences. So I think that he's a guy that he and McDaniels are going to love to play around with. He's certainly not coming there to be a bench warmer. He's not coming there to be a backup like he stated several times. Why not give Jarrett Stidham more time to learn under a former MVP, a guy that has amazing, versatile skills? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Jesse. You know, I think this kind of just goes into deeper to what I was saying last week when we broke down the AFC East. I just don't think Jarrett Stidham's ready yet. I think he has all the ability to be a great, great player. I just don't think he's ready yet. I think Bill sees that. I think Josh McDaniel sees that. Still see he needs a little time to learn. So they went ahead and brought in Cam Newton to be their their one-year gap start starter. I also think they see the way the league is is moving. They see the way their team is built. And you guys have said a lot. They're going to be a power-run team that plays defense. Well, man, Cam Newton fits perfectly into that scheme. I think it's a really good fit. It's an incentive-based contract. So I think Cam Newton's got to have the, like we said, the incentive to really ball out and just be a, a really great player and, and prove a lot of people wrong. Barring injury to Cam Newton, I don't think Jared Stidham sees the field for 10 snaps this year. Now, Sully, last episode, you had the gall, the balls, to give the Patriots six total wins. Now that they've added Cam Newton to the squad, what do you project for them this year? All right, drum roll. Six wins. <laughs> uh, I don't think they get any better <laughs> if I'm being honest and this is yes I may bash Jared Stidham but I also am a big 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 Jared Stidham fan and I think six wins in your first year as a essentially rookie starter is a great season and I saw that from him I don't think Cam Newton really gets you any more wins really because I think he doesn't do things Jared Stidham can do now, I do think he can do things that Jared Stidham can't do, but at the same time, what happens when Cam Newton eventually gets hurt? You can't just implement the same system with Jared Stidham. So, I, I don't know. I just see kind of the same amount of wins, unfortunately. But I don't know if that's a bad thing. It's a year that you're going to get Jared Stidham to learn, and then you're going to get a decent draft pick, and, you know, who knows after that. Well, I agree with you that Stidham is another year away, and I think I'd mentioned this even before Tom Brady left. I said, I feel like Stidham is two years away from being the starter, and this year was kind of like they were throwing him in the fire early. So if he does lose the quarterback battle, I do think it's not necessarily a bad thing because it does give him that extra year to learn the McDaniels offense, which I don't think he's going to tweak too much for Cam. I think Cam's going to have to tweak his game to the McDaniels offense. But my question is this, would you say that based on the fact that it's just a million dollars guaranteed and knowing how much of a prima Donna, he can be if he's not getting his way. Don't you feel like Bill Belichick is bringing him in on a contract to compete for the starting job and not bringing him in to be the starter or it would have been more guaranteed money? Well, I mean, of course. I, I, Bill Belichick, what year was it where that Tom was hurt? I, I can't remember. Where he, he wouldn't actually declare a starter for a long time. I th- that's essentially the same thing. I don't think he's going to come in and say, this is my starter. This is who it's, you know, just because that's not really who Bill is. He's going to let the process play out. I agree Cam's not going to walk in and be the starter. I, I do think Cam Newton's just going to beat out Jared Stidham. I, I just think he's he's not that far removed from, from elite play to where I don't think he can beat out a guy who's got four career snaps. Again, like you said, though, I think Jared Stidham's two years away. This is a stopgap year. I, my only concern is that this hurts Jared Stidham's confidence, but, you know, I hope it doesn't. I know he, whatever you may say, he transferred and whenever a guy transfers, I, I always kind of have an issue with that because I think it shows signs of mental weakness, but I don't know the reasons behind his transfer, so I won't go, I won't say that about him. But I'm just hoping he doesn't take getting beat out as a bad thing, and it's more of, hey, how can I learn, get better, and then be the starter for this team next year? Well, speaking of transfers, the last bit of news that we have is that the LSU linebacker, he's a sophomore, Marcel Brooks, is entering the transfer pool. He was a five-star fifth overall player coming out of high school. He is an elite, elite, elite player. And he played pretty good last year as a freshman, as a true freshman. He didn't have to redshirt, and he played. And now I think what this boils down to is being closer to home and also the fact that the defensive coordinator, Dave Aranda, went on to become the head coach of Baylor. So he's looking at Texas schools, which could be University of Texas. It could be Baylor to go reunite with him. But that's kind of the big news. I mean, he's a huge, huge prospect that is now transferring after having a pretty good true freshman year. 
Yeah, LSU never has a problem putting out defensive beasts into the next level of the league, and so I'm sure that wherever he goes, with how versatile he seemed to be, again, like you mentioned, when he had limited opportunities, but he seemed to be very very nice uh, in pass rush opportunities, as well as coming in as an inside linebacker. So Marcel Brooks is definitely looking like he's going to choose a school in Texas closer to home to be with his family during these uncertain times right now, if we have an NCAA season. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that point that you made, Wayne. And honestly, I think it's brilliant. That's it's a really, really, really good point. And and honestly, that makes a lot of sense. He's probably going to head to Baylor with his defensive coordinator. I mean, the guy's just in the mold of these crazy athletic players. I mean, he only weighs 205 pounds, but I mean, the guy just flies to the football. He's he's extremely fast. He diagnoses plays at a high level, and he just uses his athleticism to beat guys to the football, really. Whoever does land him's obviously getting a fucking stud and a great player. And, and, and I mean, like I, I just mentioned in the same breath, I'm, I'm usually not a fan of transfers, you know, because like, for instance, Jacob Eason, who lost his job in Georgia and then transferred to Washington, or Justin Fields, who lost his job at Georgia and transferred to Ohio State. Well, to me, it shows a, a lack of, of mental toughness and, and the ability to, to come back and say, well, no, I'll beat him out next year and win my starting job. It's, well, let me go transfer to a place where I can just get handed a starting job. So I'm never a fan of that. But Marshall Brooks, it, like you mentioned, it does seem like it's more family oriented and, and COVID's kind of got a lot of, to do with it. So it doesn't seem like he just wants to leave for playing time's sake. So. He sounds a, a bit Daniil Hunter-esque, you know, another former defensive player from LSU. Well, I mean, Daniil Hunter's a 260-pound defensive end now, but I think he could be. I th- honestly, he he, sa- he looks more like uh, Deion Jones, and I think that's literally, I mean, you could literally paint the mold. He's Deion Jones. Yeah, I remember them both, you know, both Jones and Hunter being on a slimmer side when they were at LSU. I know that yeah. Hunter's definitely bulked up since being in Minnesota. Well, we can't talk about transfers without talking about the NC2A's bullshit transfer rule about how you have to sit out a year before you can play. You can't just transfer and then play right away. Now, this rule, by the way, only applies to football and basketball. If you're a baseball player, a lacrosse player, anything, you can transfer and play right away. It's only basketball and football they have this rule for, and you have to apply with the NC2A for a special exemption to play that first year. Justin Fields got it last year. He transferred to Ohio State. He didn't have to sit out a year because he petitioned the NCAA and they gave it to him. But a guy like Luke Ford, who was a tight end for Georgia, transferred to Illinois because his family lives in Illinois. His grandfather was sick with cancer, so he transferred to Illinois. He petitioned the NCAA to play right away. The NCAA said, no, you have to sit out a year. His grandfather died this past February and never got to see him play college football. See, that's horseshit. I don't know the basis of, of what allows these appeals, but like, you know, like graduate transfers, I understand. I'm fine with graduate transfers, and I think everyone in the world is. I'm okay with that, and I understand you can't block that. And I mean, you shouldn't block any transfer, but what are these appeals getting one on? Like, why is Justin Fields allowed to go play year one and this kid isn't? I, I'll never understand. Now, I get it's probably because the NCAA makes fucking a ton of money off Justin Fields, and they're not making shit off of some backup tight end who's going to hang out with his family. No, I agree 100%. And I think the other thing to consider is that the NCAA is talking about implementing a rule that would give every college athlete in every sport a one-time exemption. So they all get it. You don't have to apply for it. They all get it the first time they transfer. If you transfer a second time, you don't get it. Tough shit. But if you transfer, you get one time, you can play right away. And what interested me about this is obviously you have coaches coming out and saying, like, well, now we're going to have to recruit our own players from going to other schools. So we recruited them to get them to come here. Now we're going to have to recruit them to stay here. And the biggest bullshit of all, Jesse's boy, Nick Saban, came out and said, oh, I'm going to start recruiting other colleges' players. Poach them, baby. Poach them. Roll Tide. Yeah, that's why, honestly, I think I think it should be one year and there shouldn't be an exemption. You know, like I said, graduate transfers I'm okay with, and I understand not having to sit out a year. Beyond that, I don't like the idea of just being able to jump wherever you want because it's an easier path or something like that. Like, I hate that idea. It bugs the crap out of me that these guys just leave. Like, the one kid from Ohio State, Tate Martell, who was, you know, a highly ranked high school player, Goes into Ohio State, can't win the starting quarterback job. Then Justin Fields transfers in and automatically gets it. Now I don't want to play here. I'm leaving. And he goes to another school. It's like, you know, these kids are just jumping around. It's musical fucking schools. Learn commitment. Like, learn stability. Learn toughing it out. And if you don't succeed in the first situation, to to better your position and try and beat somebody out. I, I don't know. I can't stand it. 
My grandmother used to say that opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one and they all stink. So it's no surprise that hot takes come from assholes. Just bullshit takes by sports guys trying to get clicks. And we're going to talk about a few of them here, starting with Chris Sims. Now, Chris Sims recently released his top 40 quarterbacks in the NFL. He does it every year. And I think it's only fitting that we talk about some of these bullshit rankings. I'm going to start off. This one's not that big a deal because I'm sure a lot of guys have him in a similar spot. But Jared Stidham is number 35. That's nuts. He's worse than two or three backups. Well, I mean, I think that's appropriate for a backup. He's got Cam Newton at 10, and, and that's where he should be, the starter for the New England Patriots win. Yeah, I mean, at first when we were talking about hot takes and people getting clicks, I thought we were talking about Brandon Combs. You threw me off for a second. No, I mean, he's got Joe Burrow ranked 11 spots ahead of Jared Stidham. I mean, he's got a lot of suspect quarterbacks ranked pretty high. I agree. I think he's he's a little low on Jared Stidham, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, the guy's got Matt Ryan at 7. I mean, that's crazy. Is that your first guy that doesn't belong, Sully? For me, in the top 10, that's the first guy that doesn't belong there. For for me, it's Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz does not belong in the top 10 right now. Guy can't stay healthy. He didn't even win the Super Bowl on his team. I think he's a top 10 quarterback. I just don't, I don't think I'd have him at six, but I definitely think he's a top 10 quarterback. I agree his health's an issue, but God, when the guy's on, I mean, he was, I think we can all agree he was the MVP before he got hurt. And I mean, I I, I don't know. I agree that, that health is everything. Being available is the best trait. But, I mean, it's tough to deny that kid's talent. So you would have Carson Wentz above both Tom Brady and Drew Brees because they are at 15 and 16 right now. And I think the way that their offenses are set up for them this year in the NFC South, those guys deserve to be in the top 10 for sure. No, I wouldn't have Carson Wentz ahead of them. I wouldn't have Lamar Jackson ahead of them either, to be honest. I have Tom Brady as my fifth best quarterback. Unfortunately, I agree with Chris Sims in his top four. I think that it goes Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson. And then at five for me, it's Tom Brady. And then it's Drew Brees, if we're getting like totally deep into it. Another guy I honestly think he's too high on is Kyler Murray. And I, I know we both love him, Wayne, but he's got him at 12, ahead of guys like Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers. What do you think? Well, I think the fact that it's ahead of Drew Brees and Tom Brady is absolutely nuts. Both those guys should be in the top 10 and in the top 5, potentially. Having them at 15 and 16 or 14 15 is just nuts. Now, Kyler Murray at 12, I don't hate it because I think he is right in that Tannehill range. I actually think he's better than Tannehill. I'd rather have him. The second one I had the biggest issue with is if we're going up from 35. How about 29, Teddy Bridgewater? Would you really rather have Ryan Fitzpatrick and Andy Dalton than Teddy Bridgewater? Absolutely not. I think that Teddy Bridgewater proved that he was still a fantastic quarterback in his limited time down there with the Saints. Yeah, I agree. I think I'd rather have Teddy Bridgewater right now over guys like Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of big fans of both. I think they will be better. But I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's just shown more. So, it, you know, is this list, what would I like going forward or what do I want tomorrow? You know, tomorrow, I think Teddy Bridgewater's arguably a top 15 quarterback. So I think he's criminally underrated. I agree. If we're going to keep going up, like I mentioned, I think Joe Burrow at 26 is kind of bonkers. But Jared Goff at 24, I think, is a little bonkers. Is he really that bad? Am I just missing something? I certainly think that Derek Carr should not be above Jared Goff. Jared Goff has gone to a Super Bowl, and he has shown that he can make all the throws. Derek Carr came and showed that he can be the starter on his own team. Well, I would disagree with you there, and I know that there's a lot of hate towards Derek Carr, and they did bring Marcus Mariota in, and we did talk about how he's probably going to take over as a starter. Last year, Derek Carr completed 70% of his passes. Yeah, but his yards per completion, I'm pretty sure were bottom five in the NFL. Right there with Jimmy G. Yeah, he doesn't throw the ball over five yards, really. So, I, And I, I mean, that works when you're Drew Brees and you can complete 70% and every pass is seven yards, but I don't know if it, you know, it's clearly not working for Derek Carr. What's funny, I think, now that we mentioned the good point about Marcus Mariota, we all were unanimous that we thought Marcus Mariota would start over Derek Carr. Derek Carr's 19. Marcus Mariota's not even on this list. Top 40, and he didn't even make it to Chris Sims. No, and that's ridiculous. And I think having Dwayne Haskins at 39 is incredibly disrespectful. Having Tua Tugavailoa even on this list. (laughs) Do we know if Brandon Combs has seen this list at all? Because uh, both quarterbacks for his team, Trubisky and Nick Foles, are 31 and 38. So he thinks that Nick Foles is the savior for the Bears this season, and he's not even a top 30 quarterback to Chris Sims and you, Sully. 
I mean, I actually agree with both of those. <laughs> I don't. I mean, if we're being, I don't think Nick Foles is a top twenty quarterback or twenty five, and I don't think Mitchell Trubisky is either. I think that's one of the few that you know Sims got right. You know, again, this is I don't know the context of this list, so I don't really want to bash Sims. But I mean, you know, like having a guy like Cam Newton up at ten ahead of guys like Tom Brady and and Drew Brees, I just don't really understand. Josh Allen, I, we're all big fans of on this show. I think all three of us would have him much higher. I think we'd all have him over Kirk Cousins. I think we'd all have him over Ryan Tannehill. Honestly, I don't think we'd have Cam Newton at 10, and I think we'd all have Josh Allen over Cam Newton too. So obviously every list is going to be different, but this one's definitely in the special column. As far as I know, the context of this one is his top 40 quarterbacks coming into the 2020 season. That's why he does it on an annual basis. Yeah, it it certainly makes less sense when you consider Tom Brady and Drew Brees being at 15 and 16. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, those guys should easily be top 10 if if that's the case. So on an annual basis, Chris Sims does show us that CTE is real, folks. (laughs) Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Damn, that was savage. Um, All of our hot takes have to do with quarterbacks. Next one is Colin Cowherd, who is king of crappy takes as well, came out with his top five, quote unquote, arm talents. Now, his top five was Russell Wilson, number one, Tom Brady, two, Drew Brees, three, Kyler Murray, four, and Jared Goff, five. Now, when you're talking arm talent, I think arm strength and the ability to make a lot of different throws from a lot of different angles and running and stationary and whatnot, I have full confidence that Kyler Murray would be on our top five arm talent list, not Tom Noodle Arm Brady. So that begs the question, is it a top five quarterback, which then Colin Cowherd doubled down and said, Patrick Mahomes is not even a top five quarterback in the league. Holy shit. He's made such a career of bad takes that at this point, he's just getting paid to open his mouth and say whatever garbage calls, you know, falls out. He really is. I mean, Colin Coward's just another, I won't even say the guy's name, but the, the guy who does first take. He's just another one of them to me. They just talk just to talk. None of his, like that, none of that makes sense. Tom Brady with a, this is the number two top five arm talent. Drew Brees, who doesn't throw a pass over 10 yards as a top five arm talent. Like, get out of here. Get, that's just nonsense. To not have Patrick Mahomes, the guy makes literally underhanded throws, left-handed throws. Like, how is that not crazy arm talent? How is Josh Allen not the number one player on this list? Let's be fucking real here. That guy's arm is insane. I I don't know. But like we said, Colin Cowherd's just diarrhea of the mouth. Colin Cowherd. Yeah, he's <laughs> the worst. I hate it. And by the way, listening to his show, I don't know who listens to that crap, but just listening to him drone on without a co-host and just talk and how much he loves hearing his own voice saying nothing but bullcrap. I don't know how this guy has more than three listeners every week. Either do I, honestly. I don't I don't know how he's on a syndicated network and has an enormous show like this. He literally just spews nonsense, and it's just ridiculous. I hate it. God, I hate it. It's everything that's wrong in these podcasts. It's yeah, I hate it. I've called him the crappier version of Jim Rome. Oh, wow, that is so good. That is so good. He, he is. He's He's the... Dollar General Store Jim Rohn. (laughs) That is an excellent comparison, Wayne. (laughs) Tin Bone. (laughs) You're in the burn zone. Uh, So the last one we have is number three. This is our, I guess, colleague here at RTF Sports Network, Just for Clicks. They're a show that goes on at noontime, I believe, every day. They have a stance that Lamar Jackson is a quote-unquote trash quarterback. The reigning MVP, who completed 66% of his passes last year with a 6-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio and was the sixth leading rusher in the league, is trash. Yeah, I know Sully doesn't have Lamar Jackson in the same light as Ravens fans, but I don't think he would consider him trash like that show just for clicks. God, no, I will never go that far. You know, I, I think most people who have actually listened to my stance on Lamar Jackson honestly kind of understand it. You know, he just, he's a player that's got to show me it's going to work. There's never been a successful long-term running dominant quarterback in the NFL. It's never worked. Yes, we've had one or two great seasons. It's never been done successfully long-term. I understand he's a very good play diagnoser. He makes great pre-snap reads. He makes great quick decisions after the snap. And he gets the ball out accurately after the snap. Now, the system has a lot to do with that. I don't think he's trash at all. I do think he has a long way to go, and he can't continue to take 200 hits a season. When one hit can ruin your whole career, you can't take 200 of them at the most important position. You just can't. Now, to say he's trash is one of the worst takes I've ever heard. 
The numbers and talent clearly speaks for itself. The guy's been able to diagnose plays since college. He's not just a runner. He is a, a capable thrower. My argument is he's just so good at running that he does it too much because he's so good at it that it's eventually going to catch up to him. Let me put you both on the spot here. Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson? Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen. Ooh, I like that we've got different opinions here. I know that one of the hosts for Just for Clicks did rank Josh Allen as a top five quarterback, and I certainly disagreed, and so I just wanted to see how you boys felt about those two. I certainly believe that Josh Allen has a cannon for an arm. I think that he's going to have a very nice career for the Buffalo Bills, but I think Lamar Jackson is so athletically gifted. I don't disagree. I just, and I've said it a thousand, I'm going to sound like a broken record. You can't take 200 hits a season. You just can't. You can't do it. The guy was contacted 205 times last year. You cannot be a successful NFL quarterback and that happen on a, on a, on a yearly basis. I'm sorry. It just can't happen. The, the year he goes and has only 50 hits against him and he passes for 4,200 yards and he doesn't rush for 1,000, he passes for 42 and he rushes for maybe 400 and just situational rushing where he's getting down and out of bounds, then I'll come around. I, I'm, I'm just under the, under the opinion that he's going to be like every other running quarterback we've seen and, and get hurt. Losing Marshall Yonda is certainly not going to help his cause there. Agreed. No, for sure not. And it, my whole thing with the whole trash comment, too, as I look at it this way, is that Josh Jacobs, for example, ran for fewer yards last year than Lamar Jackson did. Now, I think we'd all agree that Josh Jacobs is not trash. He's actually a very bright young star. Well, what if Josh Jacobs, on top of running for 1,200 yards, also threw for 3,100 and 36 touchdowns? I don't think we'd be saying he's trash. So trash is such a hard word. I understand what you're saying, Sully, about the 200 hits. I agree with you on that. I do think he is evolving as a quarterback. He evolved from last year to this year, and I think he will evolve into a pocket passer that uses his legs more so when it's necessary, like an Aaron Rodgers does or somebody like that, and get out of the pocket and get 15, 16 yards instead of trying to run every time. I mean, he really needs to emulate his game after Russell Wilson, if we're being honest. Like, and, and, and even Russell Wilson gets hit a lot, but, I mean, you never, ever, ever see him take a big hit. You never talk about him getting 200 hits a season, but he's still a very viable running threat, you know, things like that. If he can get his game to Russell Wilson, which, I mean, he's my number two quarterback in the league, so obviously that's a, that's a hard thing to do, but I think he has the ability to. I'm just not going to bet on that, you know what I mean? So... I agree. Trash is is so far from where this player is. I mean, you're not a unanimous MVP, and you're trash. That that doesn't happen. The guy's a, a a bona fide stud. He's one of the most dangerous and electric players we've ever seen in the league. And even if he fizzles out tomorrow, he'll still be one of the most dangerous players we ever saw. Like that 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 his last year was so fun to watch. So I, I mean, he'll always have that. It was the most exciting quarterback performances and highlight runs that I've seen since Michael Vick in his heyday. The NBA schedule is out in its entirety, and we get to see who's playing who, who's got the easier schedules, and I guess a lot of hullabaloo right now about the fact that the Pelicans have the easiest schedule leading into this whole thing, the eight games and then the one-game playoff, but I think Jesse had mentioned it a couple episodes ago that they had the easiest schedule heading into the end of the season before the season got shut down. So isn't it only fair that they have the easiest schedule out of these teams? Absolutely. They did their best to try and keep things as consistent as possible, which was nearly impossible with everything that's going on in the world right now, especially in the world of sports. But I think that they did what was right with the eight games that were remaining, and I think we're going to have some amazing matchups to be seen. I know that it's certainly going to be a race not only for that eight seed, but for Rookie of the Year between the stars of those two teams, John Morant and Zion Williamson. Yeah, you know, we had talked about this in previous episodes. First and foremost, Jesse had pointed out that this little NBA conspiracy to get Zion Williamson in, and while this kind of fuels the fire... I also mentioned that they were going to try to keep the schedule as like the previous schedule as they could. So any games that were kind of already scheduled that teams were still in there, they were going to try to keep those games. So that's really kind of just what happened here. The Pelicans, like you had mentioned, had the easiest schedule going into it. So they just kind of kept the easiest schedule. Now, obviously, you can read into that and think the NBA is trying to get Zion Williamson in, which it very well may be, but who cares? I mean, shit, I'd love to see Zion fighting for a playoff spot. You know what I mean? 
Granted, I think John Morant was the runaway rookie of the year because obviously Zion Williamson wasn't able to play. Well, now Zion comes back and and is fully healthy and has the ability to make this a race. I mean, it's just good for basketball at this point. Let's just see these guys compete. I'm excited for Zion and the Pelicans to play these games during this easier schedule for them because, and I agree, it's it's an NBA conspiracy because when and if he gets on into that eight seed, who does he face in the first round, Wayne? The Los Angeles Lakers. Absolutely. LeBron versus Zion. All the eyeballs in the world will be watching that. That is now versus future. You're seeing it right there in the first round of the Western playoffs. Now, where I agreed with Jesse and his conspiracy theory was that the NBA basically said if you were six games out of the eighth spot, you were invited to Orlando. Well, there were four teams in the West that were six games out. There was only one team in the East, and that's the Wizards, that were six games out. Well, if the NBA had said, well, let's make it seven games, the West stays the same. You still could have had Zion in there, but you would have added an extra team in the East. If they'd said, let's go eight games, you would have had three teams in the East, and it would have been a more even, I guess, number of teams East and West. So I'm wondering why they didn't go eight games, and if it's only just because of scheduling they couldn't fit that many in I mean then it would have been how many teams total you know I think that's kind of then the issue at that point is I believe they only wanted a certain amount of teams total I could be wrong here but I'm just guessing I agree I think it's I mean I really do think they just wanted to find a way to get Zion in to at least to give him a chance to compete could you imagine if he plays the Lakers and they actually kind of maybe even put up a, a fight or fucking even beat the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs? Like, holy shit, that would be so monumental for the league. Obviously, the mind runs and the conspiracy theories run, but I think it's pretty naive to think that the NBA didn't try to get the Pelicans in. Not just for the matchup of Zion versus LeBron, but you'd have you know Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram playing against their former teams, and those two players have certainly grown into more mature, well-rounded players in New Orleans, in my opinion. So I'd love to see that first-round matchup. Again, I love John Morant. I think he is the more deserving Rookie of the Year candidate, but in my opinion, this guy is not going to end up leading the Grizzlies into the first round. It's going to be the Pelicans that end up sneaking their way in. Well, they could both make it. I mean, basically... you know, New Orleans could get the eight seed and Memphis theoretically could move up to the seven or the six. So it's not outlandish to think that both Memphis and New Orleans make the playoffs. Now, there's also that rule that if you're within four games at the end of the season, then there's the play-in game for the eighth seed too. So, I mean, it could just come down to that, which I think would be even cooler to see a Zion and John Morant play in for the final playoff spot. I, I think that'd be even cooler to see. I personally think the Grizzlies are, are a better team. I'm a big Jaron Jackson fan, so I, I'd just like to see the, the Grizzlies succeed here. The Mavericks play four of their eight games against teams under 500, so I think they have the third of the fourth easiest schedule. Yet another young player. How about Luka Doncic in the playoffs? Is the NBA kind of excited about that? Oh, absolutely. This guy's fantastic. I think, Sully, isn't Doncic one of your favorite players right now? I mean, outside of you know anybody on the Lakers, yeah, most definitely. Luka Doncic is number one. He's a fantastic international player. It will make the NBA playoffs a more worldwide phenomenon with him in there. And he has certainly taken the league by the, you know, the reins since he's been in the league. He's just a, a superstar. One thing I did want to touch on is a few episodes ago, I had actually questioned you guys on home court, home field, home ice, and the impact that it could have on teams. And one team in particular I wanted to bring up was the Philadelphia 76ers. I think Wayne likes this team more than I do. One glaring thing I wanted to mention with records and home or away with the 76ers is they actually had a 10 and 26 record on the road, which is very bad for a team that you consider to be top three in the East. And at home, they are 29 and two, which was the NBA best. So home court is going to do a lot of things for a lot of teams, but in Orlando, nobody's having home court. Wow, that's actually a great stat, Jesse. I mean, that proves that the team plays better in a, in a comfortable situation. Now, again, can they make their bubble in Orlando as much as, as home, quote-unquote, as they can? We'll see. I'm not a, a big a fan of the Sixers, as I know Wayne is. I don't really believe in that team. I, I'm not the biggest Ben Simmons fan. I don't think you can succeed in basketball and not shoot. I know he does everything else at an extremely, extremely high level, but, I mean, he can't shoot the basketball. And then, you know, you'll hear his take on Joel Embiid, but, I mean, you can just call that man Mr. Glass if you if you ask me. He gets hurt a lot, but I think when he's healthy, he is the best big man in all of basketball. He does everything well. He shoots threes, he rebounds, he blocks, he plays offense and defense. 
He runs his mouth a lot. That's one of the reasons I think a lot of people don't like him is he is kind of a, he's a hot take machine himself. He loves to run his mouth. But I don't know a better big man, a better skilled big man in all of basketball. I mean, I'm going to say it again. The best ability is availability, and the guy doesn't play enough basketball games. I don't care. I don't care about running your mouth. Like I, I don't know. He's just he he can't play like back to back nights almost, and and I hate that. And I mean, I could argue Carl Anthony Towns is more athletically skilled, but I, I do think Joel Embiid is a better inside game, and and I just think he's a more dominant big. But he's never healthy. So y'all forget about Anthony Davis. No, no, I just, I, I think... Lock, steals, stretching the floor offensively. I mean, the guy's a beast. He's probably top five in the MVP consideration this year. That's a big man that I'd rather have. Is Anthony Davis a center, or is he a power forward? Now, I guess that's not really the discussion we're having. I don't, I don't view Anthony Davis as a center a lot. You know, I know he can play center, and he has played center, and obviously that doesn't change much. I just kind of had the context of this conversation as just centers, but... Obviously, I mean, I, I think Anthony Davis is the most talented big man maybe ever to play, so. I do like Joel Embiid when he's healthy, but because he's not healthy all the time, you need to have good reinforcements. You need to have good depth. And in my opinion, Al Horford has not been the same player that he was when he was a very good role player on the Boston Celtics in their playoff runs. You know, he has really been a shell of himself in Philadelphia, and they need him to be much more than that, especially with how fragile that Joel Embiid has shown to be. And that is the biggest knock on him, and Sully's right about that, that availability is the best ability. In terms of what he can do, I just say when you look at per 36 minutes, per 48 minutes, and I know he doesn't play a lot of minutes because he gets hurt a lot, but per 36, per 48, I think Joel Embiid is better than both Anthony Davis and Giannis. What? Time for the Infinity Five, and we teased it earlier on the show. It is a movie Infinity Five, but it's also an Independence Day Infinity Five because we are talking about our five favorite, not necessarily five best, so hold your fucking panties, the five favorites for each of us for most patriotic movies that exist. Now, I don't know which one of you guys wants to go first. I figure we'll start at five and we'll work our way back to number one and we'll see who's got the best number one, me. And who wants to go first? I think Jesse went first the last time, maybe? Yeah, Sully, go ahead and lead us off with your five. All right, so my first one, which is probably going to get a little slump here because it didn't have the best acting, but American Sniper, I just love the movie. I like the story. You know, granted, the fake baby was, man, just a miss in that movie, but I just love the movie in general and the story about Kyle and just, I mean, honestly, the hero he was. Oh, I certainly know that Wayne is a Bradley Cooper fan, so I don't know if that made his list, but I know he loves him as an actor. Love Bradley Cooper. That's a great movie. That's a really, really good movie. Jesse, what do you got five? So my number five is actually Glory. It has Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman, Matthew Broderick. I actually saw it for the first time in school, and I feel like if I wouldn't have seen that in school, I would have never watched it. Actually, maybe I would have because I love Denzel so much, but I ended up really loving the movie, so Glory is number five for me. Glory was kind of a slow movie for me. I liked it. It's a really good movie, and obviously the acting performances are phenomenal. Denzel, I think, got Best Supporting Actor for his role, and the scene where he's being whipped on the back and he's just staring at Broderick is so intense. You can feel it. The movie as a whole, I just thought it was a little bit slow. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a tad slow, but you know you can't discount the star power that's in that movie. I mean, Morgan Freeman and Denzel together, and then you know Matthew Broderick. I mean, it was just an incredible fit for all three of them, too. Well, my number five is actually kind of a little bit of a cheat because I have a five and a five A, and that is The American President and the movie Dave. They're both about presidents. Dave is Kevin Klein. He pretends to be the president because he looks just like him, and it's kind of a comedy. I like that one. And then American President is Michael Douglas. He has kind of a fling with uh, Annette Benning, and he's a single president. His wife had died, so he's a widow. But both of those are really great. I could watch both of those over and over and over. The rewatchability of both those movies is great. Like a lot of movies you bring up, Wayne, I have not seen those. Yeah, like a lot of movies made back in in the silent days, you know. <laughs> On the Nickelodeon, yeah, I haven't I haven't seen them. You know what I mean? Back when they were making black and white still films, you know, I I wasn't catching these flicks. So now I haven't had a chance to see them. Um, I, I guess I'll have to go and check them out. You know, keeping it in the modern day times with us normal aged folk. My number four is Forrest Gump. 
I mean, it probably should be higher on my list, but I can't put it ahead of the other ones. Obviously, I mean, I'm a big, big fan of the movie. I think the score is one of the best scores ever in the history of movies also, so that's a plus. But, I mean, I'm a big Tom Hanks fan and just love this movie in general. Can't go wrong with Tom Hanks. Can't go wrong with Forrest Gump. But I certainly cannot have him on my top five. Love the movie, but it didn't make my top five most patriotic movies Number four for me is actually Miracle. We've brought it up uh, episodes ago, but I think that this is a fantastic movie. Shows patriotism, um, and it's a sports movie, so best of both worlds right there for me. I didn't like Miracle. I mean, I don't know why. Maybe I'm just not a hockey guy. I don't like a lot of hockey movies. I don't like Young Blood. I don't like Slapshot. I just don't like hockey movies in general. And Miracle didn't do it for me. I think you'd have to be a hockey fan to like it in some respect because I watch it. I don't get all jazzed at the great moment speech. I, I don't care about the whole beating the Russians. I just, I really didn't get into Miracle. I know it's a patriotic movie. I understand it's a big moment in American history. I just didn't get into it. Yeah, I've never seen it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, for most of the people that I spoke to, I kind of got the same opinion that it was just kind of meh. And it's like, I know what happened. We win. Like, what, what do I need to go watch this mediocre movie for? No, connect with the people who are pretending to be them. <laughs> now, my number four actually is one I don't have to go into much of a deep dive about it because we already did. I have American Sniper at number four. Nice. Yeah, great movie. I mean, like I said, his story, I think, I mean, it's, I don't read, really. I, I mean, I know how to read. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Prove it. I'm not a big fan of reading, and that book is one of the few books I've, I've read and, and really couldn't put down. And then, uh, you know, I mean, everybody says this, but the book is much better than the movie, but the movie was still great. My next one is Hacksaw Ridge. I kind of just randomly stumbled upon this movie, and... It had me crying. Uh, it was so moving. I mean, the amount of fight. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's about this medic who refuses to carry a rifle in this war, and he saves just so many people, and it's just so inspiring, and, and I just love, I love this movie. I can say that I've not seen it, but I've heard wonderful things about it, so hearing from you that you really enjoyed it, it's something that I'll certainly put on my list going forward. But my number three is something that I believe you both have seen, and if not, I want you to go ahead and mail me your man card. It is Rocky Four. You know, we've got USA versus Russia, we've got Rocky Balboa going against Ivan Drago, you know, we even see their bloodlines or, or their successors play it off in uh, Creed 2. So I think that Rocky IV, you know, certainly belongs in my top five. I like Rocky IV because I like the song with a burning heart by Survivor. I think it's so fantastic, particularly the second verse. I think it gets a little bit cheesy at the end. I mean, I love the end fight when they say, the Russians cut. They can't believe it because he's like this robot. And just the end, though, when he's given the speech, you know, if I can change and you can change, then everybody can change. And like Gorbachev and his guys all stand up and start giving him a standing ovation. It's kind of a little bit bullshit for me. There's a theme in, in yours, Jesse. You like Americans beating Russians, man. <laughs> Who doesn't? Absolutely. <laughs> My number three is Top Gun. Tom Cruise and, you know, uh, Anthony Edwards and Val Kilmer and the great, you know, Highway to the Danger Zone. Everybody hears that song. They know what it's from. And just so many great lines in that movie. You know, the uh, the plaque for the alternates in the ladies' room, gentlemen. That's so fantastic. And obviously, any movie that has Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer in their prime taking their shirts off and playing volleyball, I'm in. Yeah, I feel the need, the need for speed. Yeah, I mean, I, I was very close to putting this on. This is probably the last movie I took off of my big board, if I'm being honest. I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise fan, but man, this movie's fantastic. I'm a, and what's funny is I'm actually a big Val Kilmer fan, but I, I mean, I, I love it. It's a great pick. And Wayne, did you uh, mention how you feel about the the remake? I haven't, I am curious. I'm not going to, I'm going to hold off judgment right now. It seems a little late in the game. I'm excited about the fact that they say that Vel Kilmer is going to be in it and he's lost all the weight so he looks better. I'm excited about that. Because I love this movie so much, there is an anticipation there, but I'm trying to withhold any expectation because I don't want to be disappointed. We'll have to check back with you after that. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to get your take on that one. Now, for my number two, we're going to go with just one that, that reigns close to the heart. You know what I mean? As a, as a Jew, you know, you got to love to see it. Inglorious Bastards, just a fantastic movie. I mean, Quentin Tarantino does such a good job. The bear Jew part where he's got the baseball bat, he goes, Teddy fucking ball game steps up to the plate. I, I mean, uh, that, it's just such a good film and just so good. I just love every second of this movie. Probably one of the few Tarantino movies that I would recommend people to see. I don't love his entire filmography, but I think that that's one of the ones that I would certainly recommend people to see because it tells such a great story and it's it's funny, it's great. 
Not on my list. Uh, my number two, and I'm surprised I haven't heard either one of you guys say it. Maybe you're saving it. It is Independence Day. Uh, you know, Will Smith, we got Jeff Goldblum. Uh, I love this movie, and I think it should be played all day round uh, like Christmas Story is. You know, play that on July 4th on a loop. I do like Independence Day. I saw it in the movie theater because I'm an old guy. So I saw it when it first came out in the movie theater. And it was a Will Smith movie. And he was just super stupid cheesy with some of the lines. But it was an action-packed movie that I enjoyed. And I don't know. If you like the Jewish character of the bear, what would you think about Goldblum's dad in that movie who was way over the top, right? You, know, you don't be the devil for my David. <laughs> uh, that's actually really funny you bring that up. We talk about that character a lot within my Jewish friend circles, but he, he's way over the top. But uh, I mean, Independence Day was literally the last movie I took off my list. We did some pre-draft talk and Inglorious Bastards. I was told counts as a patriotic movie, so then Independence Day got moved off the list, unfortunately. But Independence Day, actually, Jesse, is played... 24 hours straight on July 4th. I believe it's on TBS or TNT, one of the two, but, and they play it 24 hours. But I, I mean, I agree. It's such a great movie. I mean, it's so iconic. Actually, Wayne, I mean, you know, I make funny for being old. I actually saw Independence Day in the theater also. But, I mean, that's such a great flick. And I think it's one that we all kind of just connected with just because of the age group and just kind of like the cinematography of it was, was kind of groundbreaking at the time. So I thought it was really good. Now, my number two, you'd mentioned Hacksaw Ridge, which is directed by Mel Gibson. And my number two is The Patriot, which stars Mel Gibson. I think just, you know, them taking his son away. Heath Ledger, another fantastic performance from him. And he doesn't know what to do about it. He's telling his kids, relax, this is how it works. And then the guy shoots his younger son, and he just goes out there with a hatchet and the guns and just starts chopping people up. And the whole movie from start to finish is just nothing but action-packed. It's about the Revolutionary War and winning our independence. So The Patriot's my number two. Great, great, great flick. I was just explaining to my girlfriend the plot and, and that movie in general. She had never seen it. And I was letting her know just how amazing that movie is. And, and that scene where he goes into the woods and just carves those fuckers up with his hatchets is so good. I mean, that's such a good scene. And then just kind of the history of the backyard militia tactics that we use to win the war. You know, obviously this isn't a true story, but, you know, it, it uses some truth to it and just shows you a little in-depth of how these guys were living in swamps, you know, to essentially protect their families and things like that. My number one, who, which I think, I mean, it, it's probably going to be most everybody's number one, I think, is Saving Private Ryan. I mean, we got Tom Hanks on here twice, baby. Let's go. I mean, it's it's one of the, the best movies ever, I think, and let alone patriotic movies. It's just so many great actors performing so many great roles. I, I mean, fuck, even Vin Diesel puts on a decent role. Like, I mean, you, you got to give credit where credit's due. I, I just love the movie. If I wasn't so dead set on trying to force two sports movies into my top five, then Saving Private Ryan would have ended up in my top five, but it was number six. It was the top honorable mention movie. But my number one movie was already brought up, and it is The Patriot. I think the performances by Gibson and Ledger are amazing. I cry watching that movie. I feel it. I feel patriotic watching it. They burn a church, and I'd, I want to punch every person wearing a red coat at that point, so... Patriot is the number one most patriotic movie of all time. Again, I, I said my piece with The Patriot. I think it's fantastic as well. I do think Saving Private Ryan is phenomenal. The cinematography is second to none. And I think that opening scene, which probably takes up 35 or 40 minutes of the movie, on D-Day, and you can hear the bullets hitting the doors of those ships. And then the ship door comes down and people just getting hit in the face and the body with these bullets. You realize how absolutely brutal it was. So Saving Private Ryan, I think, is absolutely a fantastic choice. Now, my number one was actually, I think me and Jesse recasted this one with our second recasted, and it's A Few Good Men. It's another Tom Cruise movie I have on here, and I think just the drama is so amazing, and the acting is so incredible, and Tom Cruise is great, Jack Nicholson's great, Kevin Pollack, Demi Moore, Kevin Bacon, and Cuba Gooding Jr. It's just a huge star-studded cast, and they all put on a show. And so for me, it's maybe one of my third or fourth favorite movies of all time. It's in my top five, my Desert Island movies. So I have A Few Good Men as number one. I absolutely love that movie. It's a great pick. I mean, the I mean, it's not a monologue. I guess it is a monologue, but Jack Nicholson's monologue in the courtroom is obviously one of the most iconic scenes of all time. I mean, you know, everyone in the world knows you can't handle the truth. You know, I mean, it's just, it's such a great movie. It's incredible. I, I, it honestly slipped my mind. I don't know if it would have made my top five, to be honest, but it really is such a great, great, great movie. 
Well, that's our Infinity Five. That's all five of our favorite patriotic-type movies. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the whole show. Hopefully you're listening on RTF live on Thursdays at 11 o'clock. Maybe you listened on Spotify or iTunes or Stitcher. Obviously visit us on Facebook at Infinity Podcast for now. By the time this airs, it should be at Infinity Sports Podcast. Like I said, we're whittling it down to Infinity Sports. On Instagram, at Infinity Sports Podcast. And on Twitter, at Sports Infinity Five. You just heard the Infinity Five. Don't tell me you forgot our Twitter handle. Yeah, everybody out there, uh, I know that you love the show, so my favorite part of the show is actually this Infinity 5, and the reason I love it so much is because it is interactive. I know that all of you out there have seen some of these movies, and you think that some of us have the wrong movies in our 5, so please interact with us. You know, you've got different platforms to do so, so interact with us, and we'd love to you know, go back and forth and just have the best program possible. Yeah, most definitely. Leave your top five patriotic movies. Give us an idea for a top five Infinity Five you want to see. We'd love to explore some of your ideas. You know, I want to give a shout out real quick to uh, my wonderful folks uh, and and my brother and his wife. They they both had their anniversary this past weekend. My parents, 38, and my brother and his wife, 11 years. So just a big shout out to them. Again, Infinity Sports, Thursdays 11, all the platforms on social media. Make sure you follow Stitcher, iTunes. Make sure you listen, rate, and review, folks. We love you. We appreciate it. Kenny, on July 4th, 1776, after you guys signed the declaration, what did you all say? It's over!